Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. A blessed Lord's Day to all of you. We praise God for we have just finished celebrating Missions Month. And now, it is the month of July once again. And this month, we are celebrating UECP's 92nd anniversary. Indeed, God has been faithful to our church and has, uh, has been continually been using UECP to be a channel of blessing to others, even in the midst of this pandemic. And truly, that is something to celebrate about and be grateful for. As we celebrate our anniversary this month, we are kicking, the, kicking it off with a new sermon series in 1 Corinthians. To get you excited, let me give you a short background about this epistle. Just like the Philippian church, the church in Corinth was founded by Paul during one of his missionary journeys. Therefore, we know that he deeply cared for this church and considers himself one of its spiritual fathers. In fact, even though 1 Corinthians is the first of only two letters included in our Bible, there were probably prior letters Paul has written to Corinth. First, 1 Corinthians is one of Paul's lengthy epistle, second only to Romans. And Paul's tone in this letter is unlike the one in Philippians, which was joyous and grateful. Instead, aside from the opening verses, he was quite serious and stern throughout the whole letter. This is because 1 Corinthians was Paul's response to the news he has heard about the problems plaguing the church in Corinth. It was reported to him that there were quarrels and divisions within the church, and there were issues regarding sexual sins, food, and even worship. As you can see, the church in Corinth is a picture of a church struggling to keep it together and finding it hard to be the church God wants them to be. A broken church with broken people. But as bad as it may sound, it actually breeds a sound of relief for every church that reads and studies this letter. Relief that we are not alone in our struggles. Relief that we are not meant to be perfect, at least for now. Relief that we are all work in progress. And hopeful, knowing that our Lord continues to work in us, instructing us, transforming us to become more like Him. 1 Corinthians paints a broken church where broken people can come and become part of a beautiful mosaic work of art that God is shaping through His Son, Jesus. So I hope you guys are excited as we begin our journey through 1 Corinthians. Now let us open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. We'll be reading starting from there. And we'll be reading until chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 5. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothings things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. May God bless the reading of His Word. Here in the opening chapter of his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul immediately addresses one of the problems the church is facing. He has heard reports that there are quarrels going on among the members of the church. Some of them have created factions and associated themselves to the itinerant preachers of their church, which includes Paul himself. So verse, in verse 11 to 12, he says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, at first reading, you might think that there are disagreements among these faithful servants and teachers of the church, and the members of the church are taking sides. But no, that is not the case here. There were no disagreements among, uh, going on among these teachers. Instead, some people in the church are boasting among themselves that they are discipled by these VIPs of the church. Payabangan sila. Some says, ah, you said you were taught by Apollos? Wala ka sa akin. I was discipled by Paul. Then another one says, eh, wala ka sa akin. I was taught by the rock, by Peter. Then another one says, eh, wala pala kayong lahat eh. I'm a disciple of the man himself, Jesus. O ano, may laban kayo? 
You see, that was what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were quarreling regarding who is better. They were fighting over who is wiser. You see, Corinth being a port city where many travelers pass through is not only a center for trade, but also uh, philosophy and knowledge. Therefore, wisdom is highly valued. And people wanted to be considered wise and knowledgeable. And sadly, this attitude has already crept inside the church. And so Paul, in the first four chapters of his letter, addresses this problem. He tells them, is Christ divided? This is a rhetorical question to tell them that if they are truly followers of Christ, they shouldn't be having this petty fight among them. And then he addresses their obsessive need for worldly wisdom and to be wiser than the other by proving to the Corinthian church that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. This is an important truth we as a church need to be reminded today. Because even until now, we are obsessed with glory, with being better than the other, with being wise and being more knowledgeable. Not that wisdom is bad, no. In fact, the Bible teaches us to be wise and has its own uh, collection of wisdom books. The problem is when we value being wise over following Jesus. That is a problem with the Corinthian church. And Paul's response for those who boast in their wisdom is that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Let us take a look at what this means. In the people's desperate attempt to be considered wise, Paul points out the foolishness of the gospel message that they believed in. At least in the eyes of the unbelieving world, he tells them in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Paul is letting them see how the gospel message that they have heard and uh, received from him is actually absurd when you look at it from the eyes of a non-believer. By non-believers, he's talking about both Jews and Greeks who are either ignorant or hostile against the gospel. Now, why is the gospel message foolish to these two groups of people? First, the Jews. Because the Jews are obsessed with signs. They believe that any work of God must be authenticated by an obvious show of power from God. They demand signs and miracles before they would believe. They also expect a powerful Messiah, one that would free them from the rule of the Roman Empire. But instead, the gospel message talks about a crucified Messiah. For the Jews, this was foolish and unacceptable. How can a man of God, albeit the supposed promised Savior, go through the shameful execution of the cross? They were taught that a man that is hanged on a tree is considered cursed by God, and yet the gospel tells them that salvation comes from believing a man who was nailed on a tree. You know, they were expecting a powerful, triumphant Messiah who will lead them in a revolution against the Romans. 
But instead, the gospel gives them one that was spit at, flogged, and shamefully paraded by the Romans. Weak, humiliated, and defeated. That's foolishness, offensive, even scandalous in the eyes of a Jew. Even Paul himself thought that way, uh, being a devout Jew himself. That is why he persecuted everyone preaching the gospel when he was still called Saul. And how about the Gentiles, like the Greeks? Why is the gospel message foley to their ears? You know, Greeks are considered cultured people as compared to the barbarians. They look for wisdom. It was their national characteristic. They were zealous for different kinds of learning. And the Greek empire made advancement in civilization like none before them. Their philosophy of God is that God is the ultimate reason. But the gospel tells them of an all-powerful and wise God who gives his own life to death in order to save his people. How can that be for the Greeks that doesn't make sense at all? Paul points all of these to the Corinthian church in their quest and idolatry of the wisdom of the world. They haven't considered that the gospel that they claim and believe is actually foolishness to the philosophy of the world surrounding them. And yet, what the world considers foolish was the power of God to save it. And that is why Paul said in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the message of the cross was no accident. It was intended by God, specifically designed to destroy the wisdom of the world and any reliance on it, just as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And through what Jesus has done on the cross, it proves that the foolishness of God is indeed wiser than the so-called wisdom of man. In verse 23 to 25, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Indeed, the gospel message is awesome. God is awesome. The foolishness of the gospel displays the enormity of God's power. The foolishness of the gospel displays the enormity of God's power. What Jesus has done through the cross is amazing, unimaginable, and wonderful beyond reason. And yet, the Corinthian church was more focused on the speaking ability of God's messengers rather than on God's message. This demonstrated that they were living contrary to the power of the cross and instead relying or even worshipping the wisdom of the world. You know, many times we are the same way. We come to church looking for new, inspiring, and entertaining messages. 
While some of us are looking for deep reflections, wisdom, philosophies to tickle our brain, we want something new so that we can boast. I, did I just say boast? I mean teach our small group members. We get tired of listening to the same old gospel we have been hearing since we were kids at Hope or Sunday School. We sometimes forget that this same, that this same old gospel is why we are here in the first place. It is the same old gospel that gave us eternal life, not the deep wisdom that we so long to hear. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us always remember that through the gospel message, that though the gospel message is foolish in the eyes of the world, this foolish message is a power of God that gave us eternal life and not the wisdom of this world. Let us remember that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So, let us trust in the message of the gospel rather than on the, on the wisdom of the world. As some members of the Corinthian church boast about their wisdom through their association with the different apostles and teachers of the gospel, Paul not only reminded them of the foolishness of the message that they believed in, but also their foolish origins. In verse 26, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You see, in their quest for glory through wisdom, Paul is reminding them of their humble beginnings. It, yes, it is true. They are now the children of God. But that was not always the case. Paul was blunt to point out that they were not wise, at least by worldly standards, contrary to what they think they now are. Probably indicating that many of them had limited to zero education because they were not born from noble or wealthy families. They were also powerless and influential. Paul is pointing this out to once again argue that the gospel stands in direct contradiction to human expectations about God. If indeed the gospel message is so glorious and God himself is a glorious God, why would he choose the Corinthians who were practically nobodies of society to be bearers of his message? Why didn't God choose more influential or more powerful people to be recipients and ambassadors for the gospel? You see, the Corinthian believers were themselves evidences of the foolishness of God, which the wisdom of this world cannot comprehend. What was God's reason for choosing the lower class, the weak, the foolish, to be recipients and bearers of the gospel? Paul explains in verse 27 to 29. He says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
You see, brothers and sisters, God chooses the weak, the foolish, the low, so that no one has the right to boast. God has been doing this even from the Old Testament. He chooses Abraham and Sarah, a, a, an old barren couple, to make his nation as many as the stars in the sky. He chooses a weak nation like Israel instead of an international superpower like Egypt to be his people. He chooses fishermen, tax collectors, the rejects of this world to be his ambassadors to the world. Why? To show the world that he is the all-powerful God who can make all things possible and so that no one else can take the credit away from him. Paul emphasizes that the Corinthians were chosen by God not because of their credentials, but because, because they don't have any in the first place, but to shame and nullify the values to which they are boasting about. Just as the foolishness of the message of the cross displays the enormity of the power of God, the foolishness of the Corinthians becoming a people of God, it displays the immensity of God's grace. The foolishness of the Corinthians becoming part of God's chosen people displays the immensity of the grace of God. This leaves no space nor opportunity for, Corinth, for the Corinthian church, nor anyone else for that matter, to boast about themselves. But instead, it directs all boast, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ alone, who solely brought righteousness, sanctification, honor, and redemption to the church. He is the manifestation of the wisdom of God, or in this case, the foolishness of God that trumps the wisdom of the world. And so if the Corinthians want to boast, they should not boast about themselves. They can only boast about one thing, one person. They can only boast about their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we are not exempted from this. You know, being part of the church, many of us are given the opportunity to hone our talents and skills through various ministries available to us. Whether it may be singing, teaching, preaching, planning, leading, and many other things. And this often makes us proud of ourselves and makes us boast of our accomplishments and abilities. And even at times, the church begins to value these gifts and abilities more than the message we are called to proclaim. We must be careful of this. If there is something we need to be proud of and boast about to the world around us, it should not be our gifts or talents or wisdom. It should be our Lord Jesus Christ alone. We were nobodies before He came into our lives, and now we are children of God, ambassadors of his gospel. Indeed, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. For who would have thought to use foolish people to be bearers and heralds of the most wonderful news in the world? But by choosing the foolish people like us, the immensity of the grace of God is emphasized. Lest therefore not boast about ourselves, 
but instead boast about our Lord Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Lastly, after pointing out the foolishness of the gospel that displays the power of God and the foolishness of the Corinthian church being called as part of God's chosen people to display the grace of God, Paul now made himself an example of a foolish messenger. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 3, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come preaching to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul here is reminding the Corinthian church about the first time he came to them to preach the gospel. He wants the church to know that he deliberately left out lofty speech or wisdom as he shared the gospel. He explained it to them as plain and simple as he can, ignoring to use any flair in his speeches, nor using dramatic words to persuade the Corinthians to receive the gospel. In fact, he said he preached it with fear and trembling instead of self-confidence. This is opposite to what a speaker during their time does. As I've mentioned earlier, public talks and speeches are a source of entertainment in the city of Corinth. The people there loved listening to philosophers traveling in and out of the city. In fact, archaeologists today even uncovered what Jews called a bima, a raised platform where people stood when addressing the public. They unearth it in the middle of the city square in the ancient city of Corinth. And knowing that they have heard so many sermons and talks already, they were probably a tough crowd to please. You have to talk passionately, dramatically, theatrically, and with gusto to be able to win the crowd. But in spite of knowing this, Paul chooses to leave out the theatrics, and the rhetorical skills as he preached the gospel because he wants the, the gospel to speak for itself. He doesn't want his speaking skills to win the crowd because the gospel already has the power to win the crowd. And that power is the Spirit of God. In verse 4 to 5, he says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. You see, the foolishness of Paul's preaching displays the efficacy of God's Spirit. The people were probably thinking, who is this foolish guy telling us about a God who let himself be killed by his own people in order to save them? Little did they know, that the one who is bringing the message to the people's hearts was not the speaker, was not Paul, but the Spirit of God, piercing and convicting the hearts of people to repent and to receive eternal life. Paul did not put confidence on his preaching skills, even though I'm sure he has a lot of it. But he has full confidence on the gospel message and the Spirit of God, and that is all he presented. And the church in Corinth 
was established. I remember one of the times I was camp director in a joint youth camp. One of the evening's motif was Hawaiian. And we all wore flowery clothes and we prepared and gave colorful flowery, uh, flowery necklace for all the counselors and speakers, like the one they wear in Hawaii. When I gave one to the speaker, he politely refused to wear it. And I was surprised and told me that he would wear it after his message. But I tried to convince him to wear it. Pinilit ko pa siya. So I told him that, you know, it would suit the motive if he would wear it. But he still politely refused. I was curious why he wouldn't want to wear the necklace, but I wasn't able to ask why. Fast forward to 2011 when I was studying in seminary, this same speaker became my professor in preaching in SBC. During one of our classes, he explained why he wears what he wears when he preaches. He says he chooses to wear as plain, as simple, as appropriately possible because he didn't want his listeners to be distracted from listening to God's Word by his appearance. He wants his congregation to focus only on hearing the gospel, nothing more, nothing less. And that was his ultimate goal. Indeed, brothers and sisters, the Word of God is sharp and powerful, able to penetrate and pierce through even the most hardened hearts. And the gospel of Jesus is powerful enough to bring salvation for both for the Jews and the Gentiles. And that is why Paul is not ashamed of it. He does not need to add flair to make it effective. He does not, to, he does not need to add drama in the eyes of others, they might think him foolish for it. But Paul knows that when he faithfully preaches the gospel, the Spirit of God works in the hearts of the people. This once again goes to show that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And even today, we must trust that the Spirit of God continues to work every time the gospel is being preached. We must not put the confidence in ourselves nor think ourselves incapable. The effectivity of the gospel does not rely in our ability or inability to explain and expound it, but it relies solely on the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people. And the Spirit is always effective. Do not trust nor rely on your own wisdom or capability. Do not boast nor rely on your own skills. Preach Christ crucified. That is what we are called to do. And even though it is foolishness in the eyes of the world, even though nakakahiya, even though baka mapahiya tayo, even though people rejects us, let us remember, it is the wisdom and the power of God to bring the dead back to life. Indeed, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Brothers and sisters, as we celebrate our 92nd anniversary this month, let us be reminded of this. Let us not boast of our history. Let us not highlight what we have accomplished. Let us not take pride of our wisdom accumulated through 92 years of experience. Instead, UECP, let us 
boasts about our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Redeemer of UECP, who has brought us all to salvation and made us children and ambassadors of Christ. I hope as we turn 92, we will have that vigor and that we will be more proud, that we will be more loud and boast about the gospel message that has saved us. Let us boast, let us tell the world, our neighbors, our friends, our office mate, about Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his life for us that we might live. Indeed, they might reject it. Indeed, they might think us foolish. But that's okay. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And at, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you ECP, my challenge for you as we turn 92, let's not busy ourselves with the wisdom of our world, boasting about ourselves, quarreling, dividing. No. Let us boast all the more of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let his name be known to our neighbors, to our community, and throughout the whole world. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we just want to give thanks for this timely message. We thank you how you have been with our church for 92 years, faithfully walking with us, rebuking us, teaching us, correcting us, and leading us, Lord, to what you call us to be, to love God and make disciples. Father, as we tear 92, Lord, may we not boast of our accomplishments. May we not boast of the wisdom that we have accumulated, but instead help us, Lord, to speak only of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Help us, Lord, to boast his name to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends. Let, help us, Lord, to tell them, Lord God, uh, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Our God and Savior, our King, gave his life for us on the cross to give us eternal life. Lord, they might laugh at us. Lord, they might ridicule us. They might reject us. Maybe even persecute us. But Lord, we will not stop. For we will only boast of our Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the power of God for the salvation for both Jews and the Greeks and for all the world. So Lord, I pray that you will help you ECP to boast and be loud about our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen and amen.